We're in Philippians chapter 4. We're looking at the epistle of joy. We've been talking about picture joy. We've asked you to send in your pictures. We've strung them up all over the building. We've used them in the inserts. We have been catching one another smiling and being glad, and we have published those pictures because joy is the heritage of the people of God. And today, I want to talk to you about how you can learn to be content. All right? It's in this passage. I'm starting in verse 10, chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Let's say that last verse together. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Learn to be content. Janet and I were in Rome a couple of years ago, and we came by a church called St. Paul in Chains. There was a glass case in the middle of that church with chains draped over a bar, and I stared at it for a long time. I don't know if those were the very chains but I know that the apostle says he was in chains. And I imagine ankle bracelets and wrist bracelets connected in an X with those chains. He was under house arrest. And in that church, I envisioned the great apostle in his confinement, unable to go where he wanted to go, to do the good work that he had been doing. And I imagined him saying, I am content. Content in confinement? I preached a series of meetings on death row in Angola several years ago. And on this one particular year, I did it three times, but on this particular year, they invited all the death row inmates who wanted to, to actually come into the meeting place together. I don't know if that violated some rule. I know they're all in, in solitary confinement. But they brought them in nonetheless, and they came in all chained like I just described, ankles and wrists, and they sat down, and we had church together day by day. It's true that some inmates on death row will not talk to you. When you come by their cell, they will go back to the corner. They didn't come to the meeting. They didn't have conversations with anybody. Their lives had collapsed for one reason or another. It seemed like some of them were insane. Some death row inmates are frantic. 
I went to death row for six years every week in Texas. And some of them are frantic for your health. They want you to work on their case. In fact, it's true that for almost all of them, they are working on their case. They are worried about their case because if a death penalty is given out by a jury, it is an automatic appeal from that moment to the Supreme Court in every case, in every state. And so work is done for 10 years or more on every situation where you've got a death penalty and sometimes the execution takes place 13 or 14 years after the person is uh, found guilty because of that appeals process what I discover in prison and on death row is that most people don't want to die they don't want to die they want to live. And Paul the Apostle, in this letter, wrote to them and said, it's possible that I'm going to be executed. And he said, in a way, it would be better for me. He said, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was his perspective. So if the final verdict is that I'm to be hung up on a cross like my Lord... That's okay. It's better for me. But he also says in the first chapter, I've got a lot of work to do here, a lot of work to do with you all. And so I think it would be better for you if I stayed. And he said, I think that's how it's going to turn out. Now, we don't really know how it turned out. Some people speculate that indeed he did not receive a death penalty at this time, but it was later that he was executed. We don't really know. But we do know this, in chains, in confinement, with a death penalty as a real possibility, he wrote this letter and said, I have learned to be content. I want to talk to you a little bit about contentment. And I think that in these verses, the apostle is communicating to people that he loves why he lives in contentment and why they can live there as well. He says to them, I'm delighted that you renewed your concern for me. And that's the first thing I would say to you if you want to be content. Renew your concern. Now, you may think that concern and contentment don't go together. That if a person is content, well, they're not concerned about anything. They're just floating along in life, having a good time, and that's what contentment is. But you know that's not the Apostle Paul, right? Paul says he's content, but that's not how he lives. So contentment and concern are not opposites. They are complementary. In other words, if you will renew your concern, it will help you with contentment. The word he uses here for concern is a different kind of word. It has to do with how you think, the focus of your mind. What he's saying to these folks that he's writing his letter to is, you guys forgot me. You've been thinking about other things. There for a while you were thinking about me and you were helping me out. Now you've kind of You've kind of gone your own way. Your life got in a different channel and you stopped really thinking about me for a while. 
And sometimes that happens to us. We are people who are concerned about others. We get involved in good work. We give our lives away day by day. And then life changes on us. And life takes a different channel. And our mind is somewhere else. And I'm telling you, if you are self-absorbed and your life is all about you, you will never have the kind of contentment the apostle describes in these verses. It will never happen to you. It will never happen to you because this contentment is connected to concern, concern about human beings, concern about those in need around you, a focus of mind where Christ put his focus of mind upon the leper and the widow and the children and those that he cared for and the marginalized and those who were hurting, those who were sick. Jesus was continually helping them out. His mind was upon them. Other people looked past them. To other people, the lepers were invisible. They didn't touch them. They didn't see them. You remember that moment when they brought in the woman who was sick? And Jesus said, do you see this woman? No. They didn't see the woman. Sometimes we organize our life so, do we, so that we don't go by the need. Renew your concern. That's part of contentment. The word renew is interesting too. It means to make green again. God has built the world so that renewal is part of the plan. In his promise to Noah, he said, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, as long as the earth stands, they will never fail. And so you have a spring, a summer, a fall, and a winter, followed by a glorious spring. I remember the spring after Hurricane Katrina. Because Katrina killed every blade of grass for miles and miles and every shrub and every flower died. And it seemed to me like winter began August 29th, 2005. And it lasted for months because everything was dead. And then the spring came. And the seeds that no one could see or know about, they sprouted in the ground. And little vines blossomed as they crept along the upside-down cars and the houses off their foundations. And God saw that the world began to renew in that spring. I pulled up a crepe myrtle. Janet said, it can't grow in this front flower bed. It's too tight. It came up volunteer. You know what that means, right? We didn't plant it. I took the shovel. I put its blade by the root. I pressed it down and I pushed on the back handle and that thing popped right out of the flower bed. It was about two feet tall. And I looked at it, it looked like it had the whole root system. I said, Janet, I'm gonna put it in a bucket, which I did. I stuck it in a bucket with about 10, inch of earth, 10 inches of earth and I put it in the backyard, put some water in it, and the thing died, just like that. Every leaf fell off but two and they were just crispy green. And I thought it was dead. And I thought about throwing it away because I was walking past it every day and I just didn't get around to it. And guess what? Two weeks later, I look down there and there's this little green bud 
and that crepe myrtle is now fully leafed. It came back. That's the word renew. And everybody needs renewal. Every single person in the human race, you got to recommit yourself and revive and renew. Everybody has to do it. It's part of the cycle of life. Have you ever watched a pelican? I saw one in the mist one morning. I thought it was a boat. I had no depth perception. There was mist everywhere. I thought, there's a boat out there. And when the mist lifted a little, I thought it was a pelican. He was just sitting on the water. And I wondered, what in the world is that bird doing just sitting there on the water? Well, I've watched them along Lake Pontchartrain. And they sit in that water, and those skinny little birds, and they are skinny. I caught one once with a fishing rod, and we had to take the hook out of its wing and while it was snapping at us, you know. And, and they're skinny, scrawny little birds. But they can take off from a sitting position. Have you ever seen this? They start flapping those wings. I'm telling you, they are burning the calories. They are going up all the energy. And they get up as high as they need to be, and then they'll glide. And they are going fast. And you can watch them glide across the surface of Lake Pontchartrain. And they'll be up 10 or 12 feet sometimes off that surface. And then they'll see a glimmer of a fish. And that gliding bird would just go, and you think he's killed himself. He's killed himself. He's hit that water with such force, he's broken his neck. But he hadn't. And he'll sit there for a moment. And then he'll beat his wings again, and he'll go up, he'll rise, he'll glide. He'll expend every bit of the momentum and energy that he's packed into that flight, and he'll dive right straight down in the water. And then he'll rest. Rise. Glide, dive and give it all, and rest. The scripture says, you wait upon the Lord. He will renew you. He'll renew your spirit and your soul. Renew your concern. Pray to God about it. If you are old like me, and you've been set on fire 50 times by the Spirit of God, and you've been revived over and over again. Sometimes it feels like the charred wood is hard to start back, but you go ahead and pray, Lord, revive me. Get me green again. Because you can't sit back and just give up and experience the contentment in any situation. We're only content as we renew our concern and the Holy Spirit does that in us and perhaps part of the prayer ought to be Lord today I challenge you Lord I, I feel dry inside I feel like I've lost my purpose I I'm not getting up in the morning with the same kind of passion I used to get up with I I just wander through the day God renew my heart renew my strength make me green again Lord do your work in me and stay with God until you're on fire again and the passion's back. Renew your concern. Now, Paul gives him a break after that. He says, I'm so glad you renewed your concern. Actually, he says, I know you were 
probably still concerned about me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Seize the opportunity. That's number two. Seize the opportunity. An opportunity is a very important window that passes your life. And when you're young, you may think, I'll have plenty of these. Plenty of these opportunities to show my love, show my concern, do the good thing. I'll have plenty of these. But as the years pass, you start realizing opportunities aren't always knocking on my door. And when the opportunity comes my way, I need to seize the opportunity. This is the 50th anniversary of one of America's great speeches, the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King in Washington, D.C. I have a dream, he said. Everybody needs a dream. Every heart needs a dream. Something that you're aiming toward, hope springing in your heart, looking forward, reaching forward, like Paul said, to the thing that is before you. I had a discussion with a public school teacher this week, and we were just talking about the level of violence. And he said, you know, I think it's just that they do not have a dream. They don't have a dream. They don't have hope. In their heart, there's a hopelessness inside of them. Those who, who get violent, it's because there's nothing out there to strive for it and hope for it and look toward. And he said, you have dreams. But these people that I go to school with every day, they don't live in your world. They live in a different world. We must teach our young people how to dream again. That hope is necessary for a life that is full and meaningful. And we must help them see and seize the opportunities that are before them. Today, you're going to go buy lots of tables with myriad ministries. And each one of those ministries addressing the needs of different people and age groups and life station groups. And those needs are mighty important. It's important for you to notice the needs. I know you can go through life and not see the needs. I know you can. I know sometimes it's hard. It's almost like a downer for you to go to the nursing home or go to the hospital. In fact, I've sometimes invited people, why don't you go with me to the nursing home? Oh, no. I don't go there. I can't handle that. I can't handle that. One of these days, you're going to be in there. All right? I hope your grandkids don't say, I can't handle that. You're going to want to visit from them, all right? You can only isolate yourself from human needs so long. One day, it's your turn. When you notice the need... That's part of God's call. A missionary taught me this. I was talking about, what does it feel like to be called by God? And part of the answer is, you notice the need. Now, these Philippians weren't thinking about the apostle. I don't know for how long. They had just not paid attention. 
And all of a sudden, they realize, they think again. He's got needs, and he needs companionship. He needs Epaphroditus to go see him. He needs some money to take care of his needs. Maybe he needs some cloaks or some parchment to write his letters. And so we're going to meet him in his need. And they renewed their concern and noticed the need. Notice the need. Go ahead and take a look. Sometimes the world's not a pretty place. There's pain and trouble in the world, in the world you live in, in the family you're part of. Don't be the ostrich and put your head in the sand. Notice the need. You will never be content as long as you are hiding your head in the sand. That's not contentment. Contentment only happens when you notice the need and you hear the call. Now, you're going to hear the call in this way. You'll see the need, and the Spirit of God will whisper to you, you can help. Probably you won't hear that from the Spirit of God when somebody needs heart surgery. You see, they need heart surgery. You're not going to run get a knife, are you? Because you can't do that, can you? There's probably somebody in here that can, but I'm not going to do it. I may see they need it, but I can't help with that. But part of the call is seeing the need and then saying, wait a minute, I can help. I can do that. I can do that. I can help meet that need. That's part of the call. Part of the call is seeing you have the resources, you have the giftedness, you have the interest, you have the passion. Got any passion left in your life? You have the passion to help somebody in this situation, in this condition, and that's part of God's call to you. When you see the need and you hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you seize the opportunity because it's your opportunity to demonstrate the love of God. You say, how in the world do you love your neighbor? How in the world do you love your neighbor like you love yourself? The world is full of needy people. It's overwhelming to even think about. There are millions and millions of people out there. How do you love your neighbor like you love yourself? You see the need, you hear the call, and you seize the the opportunity, that's what the Good Samaritan did. That's what made his activity commendable to God, and it will do the same for you. It will bring contentment in your life. When you see the need, you hear the call. You seize the opportunity. Say, Lord, I'm going to intervene in that person's life who is in need. And God will fill your soul. Get ready for the blessing because this is the kind of thing of which Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We started Care Effect three years ago now. Think about it. We've been doing the Care Effect for three years. We have 100 volunteers every week who are part of what we call Care Effect. The effect of care is three things. Caring for another person the effect it has on that person, the effect it has on you, and the effect it has on your group. Contentment comes when you participate in the care effect. Your life will never be fuller than when you reach out to give it away. Jesus said, if you seize your life, if you grip your life, if you grasp your life, if you try to save your life, if you want to hold on to it, you'll lose it. 
You'll lose it. At the end, you'll look back and say, why didn't I do something like the Spirit of God prompted me, like the Scripture teaches, and love somebody else? Why didn't I let it go? Because Jesus said, if you bury your life, if you pour it out, if you lay it down, then you'll really live. That'll be life. I remember talking to Larry Johnson. He was 60 years old. He'd been in northern Peru for, 50, for, for 10 years. At 50 years of age, he was a rancher with 5,000 acres. He sat on two bank boards. And God prompted him and said, out of here now. And he went as a missionary to northern Peru. And we were driving at 13,000 feet in his beat-up Range Rover in the middle of the night. And he'd lived for five years at 13,000 feet in his little bitty mobile home, him and his wife, Joy, while they built a road 12 miles long into the Yonaconcha Valley. Those people never had anything from the outside world. They were completely sealed off till Larry Johnson, one of our missionaries, built that road. And I looked over to him and I said, Larry, do you have any regrets? You know what he said? I wish I'd done it sooner. That may be the only regret you've got in your life is you wish you made a switch sooner. You wish you'd listened to the prompting of the Spirit sooner. You wish you'd laid your life down earlier because that's where life really is. Renew your concern. Seize the opportunity that comes by your life. Learn the secret. Hannah Whitehall Smith, she wrote a book that's one of the Christian classics, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. The Secret of a Happy Life. The NIV puts the secret in verse 12. I have learned the secret, Paul says. Hannah Whitehall Smith said, The secret of your life being happy in Christ is that you trust God and let him do the work through you. You trust God works. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The word secret is the verb form of the noun for mystery in the Greek. I have learned the mystery. Hey, there's a secret, and you need to learn it. You need to grab it and get it. The secret of being content. Learn the secret. I can do all things. Everybody feels inadequate. Everybody looks at the great spectrum of human need and thinks, what can I do? Everybody, when they hear the call, says, Lord, somebody else, not me. We're just like Moses. God says, I want you to go. We say, other people are better qualified. That's us. That's who we are. Everybody feels inadequate. Everybody feels the inner resistance. Laying your life down, it's counterintuitive. You want to you grasp it. You want to save it. To lay it down, it feels the opposite. Learn the secret. It is God's strength in you that brings the victory. Bessie McKeever, 
She was 87 years old and dying of congestive heart failure. She had 12 children. They were all in the room where she lay on her deathbed. The grandkids were coming, and one of them was Joe, my good friend, Joe McKeever. He said, I walked into that room, and I saw my grandma laying on that bed. And she reached out her hands toward me. And I walked over there, and she put her hands, one on either side of my face, and she gave me a kiss. And I whispered to her, Grandma, I know there's a scripture on your heart. What is it? And his grandma said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Joe helped with her funeral just a couple days later. My father died of congestive heart failure. It's not a pleasant way to die. But whether it's living or whether it's dying, in any circumstance, in all circumstances, you can learn the secret to being content. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Something is looming up in front of you and you are afraid that you're no match for it. You're afraid of failure if you tackle it. Afraid the end result will be bad. And God wants to say to you today, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, I pray for the person who is lowest, who is weakest, who feels like all the resources are gone. In this room today, who's clinging to life by a thread and not sure what to do next, I pray this verse will come to their rescue, that your Holy Spirit will take this truth to their heart that they will learn the secret to trust you in this circumstance and that you are sufficient for their need. I pray for the one whose challenge is really great and Monday morning they've got to go to work and it is a tough assignment. Lord, that this verse would come to their rescue. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Lord, I pray that you will help us in this moment of decision. Trust you. Lean on you. Come to, come to you running. God, help us to seize the opportunity, even as your Holy Spirit speaks today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.